Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Freegan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. And welcome to another week of political excitement and absurdity. And uh, that's why we're having this special broadcast this week, just to catch up. Officially, we're kind of off for you know a couple uh, little summer vacay, but uh, too much going on, too much to talk about, and we have really reached the absurd and silly season with regard to politics. So, just got to recap a little commentary. It's certainly necessary and apropos at this point to kind of unpack, digest, and understand exactly what's going on in this circus we are calling a presidential election. Uh, we are post conventions, and the conventions were early this year, probably because of the Olympics and the not, you know, everything impacted in July. I remember those days when the conventions were late August and September. Those were the days, uh, didn't interfere with the whole uh, month of July. And, well, what a couple weeks it's been. And, uh, the elephant in the room is certainly one Donald J. Trump. And I, of course, I will admit, I was skeptical. I was skeptical of the fact that Donald J. Trump was going to run. I was skeptical that he would win, even though, just to point out, he always led in the polls. He always led the Republican. It was just kind of quick question of when he would falter. And guess what? Now he is faltering. It's not that he can't win, folks. It's not that Donald J. Trump cannot be the winner of this election because he has the gift that Hillary Clinton is so bad. She's such a flawed candidate. She is so untrustworthy. She's so disliked. Unfortunately for Mr. Trump, he is disliked even more. He is distrusted even more. He is unwilling to pivot, unwilling to change, unwilling to adapt as politicians do. If you want to go ahead and identify what people don't look like about politicians, they don't like the fact that there is – what people don't like about politicians is the fact that they – well, they might pivot, they might adjust, they might change their minds. Donald Trump is a master of changing his mind. He seems to change his mind about policy positions all the time. Or you just can't pin him down on what he actually believes. But what he is unwilling to do is change his persona, is change his campaign, is adjust to the reality that right now he is faltering, right now he is losing. And there is just this is, doesn't seem to be anybody, anything to latch onto. And he is, these are all self-inflicted. These, this is a time he was given certain gifts. And certainly by the fact that Hillary Clinton went on national TV last Sunday, and essentially just told a bald-faced lie with regard to her emails. She went on there and she told Chris Wallace that she, you know, nobody found fault. Essentially, the FBI did not find fault. They didn't find that he was, she was untruthful. When they found that she was untruthful, that she did talk, uh, she did not accurately represent the issues of the emails. And that makes her very untrustworthy. Unfortunately, Donald Trump has decided that he was going to pick a fight with the Gold Star family, a Muslim family, an American hero, and his parents, and just keep that going and perpetuate it. And instead of talking about that over and over and over and hammering away at Hillary's untrustworthiness, it has become a week-long discussion of the fact that Donald Trump cannot seem to step down from a fight. And you got to give this Kazir Khan credit. I mean, he has just taken the fight to Donald Trump. Every day he's on there talking about the fact that Trump is had does not have the temperament to be president. And every day Donald Trump is proving that, that he doesn't have the temperament to be president. But we can look back. This is not Donald Trump's first fight. 
I mean, this is not the first time he's denigrated people. He's kind of crossed over what had always been like political red lines that don't attack certain people. I mean, you know, remember, he attacked John McCain, Senator McCain, and that's actually, that attack is still going on. He attacked John McCain. He's saying, I liked POWs who weren't, ca- I like those who weren't captured. Those are the heroes. He didn't acknowledge that John McCain was a war hero. A little bit at the time, totally sickening. And a lot of people felt that was going to be a faltering thing. But it was kind of looked at by a lot of the angry Republican voters and the angry Republican electorate as the fact that, well, you know, he's, he's willing to challenge the establishment. He's willing to upset the apple cart. And that was kind of looked at it. Then he calls George W. Bush a liar. He said he actually knew that there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. But he went in anyway, and he lied about it. Now, nobody really said that before. Nobody said that he had lied. But in the South Carolina, the prelude, the run-up to the South Carolina primary, Donald Trump said exactly that. Then he goes after, obviously, the Gold Star, mom, Gold Star Moms. And then at this rally this week, he goes after a little baby. He said, well, I love babies, I love babies. Really, he says, ah, nah, get the baby out of here. Um, you know, it's just unbelievable. Megyn Kelly, he went after, I mean, it's just, you know, women... Uh, the disabled, he mocked a disabled reporter. I mean, what's next? Is there anything left? Is there anything sacred that Donald Trump is not going to attack? I mean, you would figure at this point, the only thing left for him to attack would be the Pope. But then again, he has already attacked the Pope. And, well, he'll just claim he was counterpunching because the Pope attacked him first. But, well, whatever. I mean, look, it's just, if you are a Republican and you are a Trump supporter and you are thinking that perhaps he has a chance to win the election. You've got to hope very quickly that somehow he pivots, somehow he understands that this is self-inflicted, self-destructive behavior that is going to take the entire party down. And it's hard to understand exactly where he's going and where his advisors and where his campaign are advising him to go with this. So the question becomes now is, who is going to save Donald Trump for himself? Who is going to go ahead and do that? He seems to have lost the the any semblance of campaign apparatus. And yes, he is Paul Manafort. He has some seasoned hands. But remember, Paul Manafort hasn't run a campaign since 1996, a presidential campaign. In the meantime, he's been a consultant. I mean, I mean the U.S. presidential campaign. He's been a consultant to various dictators in the in Ukraine, uh, as well the, uh, the Near East. And he's been engaged in those types of activities. Um, you know, I don't want to say he's rusty, but... I don't know that he's ever dealt with a situation like this. And so Manafort is essentially there. Reince Priebus is now apoplectic, according to news reports, and livid with regard to the fact that instead of responding to criticism and accepting it and toning it down, Donald Trump has decided that he is going to uh, go ahead and potentially not endorse or at least endorse the opponent of the sitting House Speaker Paul Ryan in a Republican primary in Wisconsin. Uh, remember, Wisconsin is a state that Donald Trump lost very badly, so it's not exactly like he's incredibly popular there. And he was the size he's going to butt heads with Paul Ryan, who has endorsed him and essentially refrained, although he's criticized him or criticized the rhetoric, Paul Ryan has refrained from attacking Donald Trump, certainly has refrained from attacking, uh, from, uh, from withdrawing his endorsement. He and Reince Priebus, another Wisconsinite, had basically uh, kind of ran roughshod over a 
Trump opponents at the convention and delivered him the nomination when there could have been a floor fight. Actually, there very well might have been a floor fight at the Republican National Convention. And, you know, to say that somehow that uh, Paul Ryan has not been a good ally, well, he doesn't go along necessarily with everything because his first priority is protecting the Republican majority in the House, which, if you look at, you know, potentially as this kind of plays out, is something that might be imperiled if Trump continues on his uh, on on this trajectory, and it's really about the trajectory that he's got. So what is what has Trump done? So instead, he picks this fight with the cons, and con it's it's just it, it pays for a second to step back and understand what happens here because it's so shocking that to go ahead and start doing this. Uh, he must have been somehow very personally wounded by the idea that he didn't know what was in the Constitution. Okay, so the cons get up at the Democratic National Convention, and they said, you know, our son would not have been allowed into the country under Donald Trump's rules. Fair enough, okay, Muslim, etc. Nobody really knows exactly what Donald Trump's policy is right now with regard to the uh, Muslim ban, and whether... Muslims will be allowed in the country. They won't be allowed in the country. Who knows? It's just impossible to know what's going on. But the cons got up, and it was a really impassioned speech. And then, uh, you know, but instead of just saying, like George W. Bush did with Cindy Sheehan at his, who camped out at his, George Bush's uh, Crawford, Texas ranch for, for months with regard to the death of her son uh, in the Iraq war. And George Bush says that she has the right to speak, and he's going to allow her to speak, and he's going to hear her out. Donald Trump would have nothing of it. He decided to denigrate the cons. He decided to go ahead and say that Mrs. Khan couldn't talk or was prevented from talking because of her religion. Another, you know, somehow another religious dig, uh, which is, uh, and then talks about the fact that he was viciously attacked. Um, yeah, look, there was a partisan attack to this, and it was, you know, it, it certainly would not have been the story of the Democratic Convention had Donald Trump not made it the story of the Democratic Convention. But then he goes one further, and then he starts attacking them. And the his allies out there, and I've seen stories in Breitbart News, which have been reprinted even by uh, some local Jewish, uh, and a lot of people on Facebook in our in the Orthodox community have reposted this thing that Kazir Khan is a agent of the Muslim Brotherhood and that he represented Saudi Arabia. In fact, there's even if you read the article that's been posted, it doesn't even say that he was an attorney there, that he had any clients, but the firm that he worked at had clients. It's just incredible when you think about it. You're going to make every lawyer guilty by association of the clients that some other lawyer at the firm has. It's really, it's an incredible uh, thing. But if you you know, just to kind of go on and on and on and just say, and just go ahead and attack them every day and, and say and denigrate their religion and denigrate them. And then you want to talk about, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to meet with some Gold Star families and they love me. And then the kicker from my point of view here, which is why this has just become so self-destructive, is as a matter of support, Donald Trump gets a purple heart from a vet. Okay, disabled veteran, purple hearts always given for those that are wounded in combat. 
as uh, as Congresswoman Tammy Duckworth, who's running for Senate in Illinois, posted a picture of how you get a Purple Heart, and she's uh, her in the hospital bed, and she's, you know, she is a uh, amputee, and she's she's looking more and more that she's going to be able, she's going to win Illinois and beat uh, sitting Senator Mark Kirk, a Republican who's increasingly in danger, probably because of Donald Trump. But Trump says, "Oh yeah, I've always wanted one of these." What are you talking about? You always wanted to be wounded in combat? You, first of all, you dodged the draft. Okay, yes, a lot of people dodged the draft at the time. Okay, Bill Clinton dodged the draft. Uh, George W. Bush went ahead and served in the National Guard and got a nice posting. But literally, Donald Trump got a very questionable medical exemption. And okay, so he didn't go. But to say I've always wanted a purple First of all, nobody wants a purple heart. Nobody wants to be wounded in combat. That's it's just ridiculous to go ahead and say these things. And then he so he says this and, and it's like always doubling and tripling down on the on this this just shocking way of doing this. But then uh, amongst the criticism, Republicans start criticizing him and John McCain gives a really incredible statement just with regard to the whole concept of the those that give their life for our country are beyond or the sacrifice for their country are beyond reproach and that you have to go ahead and, you know, put country over party and that you have to go ahead and, you know, just really, well, you know, I should read it for a second. You know, the Republican Party I know and love is the party of Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Dwight D. Eisenhower, and Ronald Reagan. In recent, Don was skipping around. In recent days, Donald Trump disparaged a fallen soldier's parents. He has suggested that the likes of their son should not be allowed in the United States to say nothing of entering its service. I cannot emphasize how deeply I disagree with Mr. Trump's statement. I hope Americans understand that the remarks do not represent the views of our Republican Party, its officers, or candidates. Make no mistake, I do not valorize our military out of some unfamiliar instinct. I grew up in a military family. I have my own record of service and have stayed closely engaged with our armed forces throughout my public career. In the American system, the military has value only in as much as it protects and defends the liberties of our people. Just to skip around, Humayun Khan did exactly that. He did it for all the right reasons. This accomplished young man was not driven to service as a United States Army officer because he was compelled by any material need. He was inspired by, as a young man by his reading of Thomas Jefferson, and he wanted to give back to his country that had taken him, in, him and his parents in as immigrants when he was only two years old. Captain Khan's death in Iraq on June 8, 2004, was a shining example of valor and bravery inculcated in the military. When a suicide bomber accelerated his vehicle towards the facility with hundreds of American soldiers, Captain Khan ordered subordinates away from the danger, then he ran toward it. The suicide bomber striking prematurely claimed the life of Captain Khan, and Captain Khan, through his selfless action and sacrifice, saved the lives of hundreds of his brothers and sisters. Captain Humayun Khan of the United States Army showed in his final moments that he was filled and motivated by his this love. His name will forever live forever in American memory as an example of true American greatness. And this is the real piece that really makes John McCain a hero. I mean, you might... You know, not think that he ran the greatest campaign back in 2008 as Barack Obama. But John McCain is a true American hero, the best of America. In the end, he says, I am morally bound to speak only of the things that command my allegiance and to which I decided to dedicate my life's work, the Republican Party, and more importantly, the United States of America. I will not refrain from doing my utmost by those lights simply because it may benefit others with whom I disagree. I claim no moral superiority over Donald Trump. I have a long and well-known public and private record for which I will have to answer for 
at the final judgment, and I repose my hope in the promise of mercy and moderation of age. I challenge the nominee, meaning Trump, to set the example for what our country can and should represent. Arizona is watching. It is time for Donald Trump to set the example of our country and the future of the Republican Party. While our party has bestowed upon him the nomination, it is not accompanied by unfettered license to defame those who are the best among us. Lastly, I'd like to say, Mr. and Mrs. Khan, thank you for immigrating to America. We're a better country because of you, and you are certainly right. Your son was the best of America, and the memory of his sacrifice will make us a better nation, and he will never be forgotten. Now, that's a classy guy. That's what classy people do. And Donald Trump has showed no class. That's just, it's just one example. And you start to think at this point, and instead of, of course, taking that in and stepping back and dialing it down, Trump decided that he was going to essentially not support or proclaim that he's not supporting John McCain in his primary because he hasn't done enough for the vets. Well, you know, this is a longstanding thing. But let's think about also that for a second. He might not, he doesn't want John McCain to win. He also attacked Kelly Ayotte from New Hampshire. He's also attacked Mark Kirk in Illinois, who's not. Now, let's say Donald Trump wins the presidency, and you would assume that he wants to win the presidency. You would think that he would also want to maintain the Republican majority in the Senate at the same time, and that he would want to support these senators who are Republicans. But yet, he seems to want to go ahead and go down a road and to support and to go ahead and attack Paul Ryan and support his challenger in a primary in Wisconsin. As I said, Donald Trump did win Wisconsin. Uh, Interestingly enough, a couple months, about a month back, Sarah Palin said she was also going to support uh, Paul Ryan's challenger, but she stayed quiet for whatever reason. But you would think that you want, at this point, you would want a Republican Senate. Yet, yet, he seems to say, I want to win. I don't really care about these guys if they want to win. It's just, it's unbelievable when you think about it. When you think about the destruction and the, well, just the wholesale kind of light, light the whole thing on fire. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who want that. There are a lot of people in the party. There are a lot of people in the country who want to go ahead and blow up the whole system. But when you go ahead and run as the standard bearer of your party, and presumably you're on the ticket and the, the, the top of the ticket with all these other people, you owe it to them just as they owe it to you to try and run and win together. Because trust me, if the, in the strange and insane possibility that Donald Trump becomes president and the Democrats take the House and the Senate, and that's certainly not what most people or what the conventional wisdom has right now, although there is no conventional wisdom, is that Donald Trump will be I mean, what is he going to accomplish if that happens? So why are you going ahead and attacking and saving all your attacks? Instead of attacking Hillary Clinton and instead of attacking Democrats, you're going ahead and having a war and having a civil war with Republicans. And just the point here with regard to some people, I think the we have this odd view in our community out there, and I'm just speaking on my own here. Instead, we're taking the Donald Trump side instead of the McCain side here. We should always be about country first and about party first. I mean, a lot of people have become so Republican, and look, as a Republican, I, I, I like that. I like the fact that people are going to, you know, if you, you take it and just be Republicans. And vote Republicans, support Republican candidates. I think Republican candidates are better for this country, to say nothing of being better for Israel. But all in all, 
there is no principle that says that you should go ahead and denigrate and attack people just because they're Muslim and suggest that they are Muslim fundamentalists and suggest that they are any less deserving of praise and honor than anyone else just because of their religion. There was a time that Jews in this country were not afforded, well, there was a threat to their rights. And there was a time that it was only, you know, that Christians were were going to be uh, solely accepted. And in fact, there was a time that, you know, there, there were issues with Catholics having the same uh, equal footing. But the United States always stood for the fact that there was no religious test, nor should there be. And it's a very dangerous road that we walk down that we want to go ahead and not protest some of these statements, not protest or be outraged by these, uh, by the remarks of Donald Trump. And, you know, I have to say personally, I am certainly in the never Hillary camp, but I'm becoming more and more in the never, never Trump camp. It's hard for me to see a scenario right now, and I thought that he would pivot. I thought we're two weeks after the convention. I thought by this point, becoming more presidential, Donald Trump would actually be there and embrace the mantle of the Republican standard bearer. We, we, we embrace the idea that he's the party of Reagan and of Lincoln and of Theodore Roosevelt and of Dwight Eisenhower. But he just doesn't seem to have that sense of history. And I'm not sure exactly what it is. I, I, I'm beginning to think that it's not necessarily the temperament. It's not necessarily just the whole, uh, the, the, the interest in being, you know, flip and, and being just go, uh, saying anything that comes to your mind. I'm actually thinking that at this point, it's just ignorance. That when it comes down to it, and that to me, that's the most dangerous thing. I f- feel, and it's more and more apparent and readily apparent, that Donald Trump is just ignorant of what it means to be the commander of chief, of what it means to be the leader of the free world, of what it means to be a real policy person and run this country. And, you know, I, th- I don't think that there's any, le- you know, any way in the little uh, cynicism that Barack Obama talked about Donald Trump being unfit and called on Republicans to repudiate him because I think that makes it more difficult for Republicans to do that. And that's probably his aim, that they don't abandon him uh, and side with the president on this. But And if that's the case, I was thinking it was a masterful political stroke on his part. But I'm more and more convinced that he is unfit. I mean, the comments with regard to Putin should scare everybody who cares about foreign policy should scare everybody. I know everybody seems to feel, well, Donald Trump can't be an anti-Semite because his, he has a Jewish daughter. Or Donald Trump can't be, must be pro-Israel because he has a Jewish daughter. Well, it's not enough. It's not enough to say, I have a Jewish daughter. I watched in the Israel Day Parade, and therefore I'm pro-Israel. He is so ignorant of foreign policy, of the basics of foreign policy. He is so ignorant with regard to NATO. He is so ignorant with regard to Crimea and Ukraine. The idea that the Russians could just go in there and he says, well, Putin's not in there. Well, Putin, the Russians control half of Ukraine. They annexed Crimea already. I mean, we're, and he says, well, I knew that. Well, you knew that. I mean, that's not, you know, the nuclear triad, uh, nuclear weapons for Saudi Arabia, which is scary. But there's so much that Donald Trump could go ahead and attack. I mean, this this deal with the Iranians of sending $400 million in cash in exchange for hostages is so shocking and so offensive. But that's just seems to be the direction in which things are going is just... Let's make the Republican Party the dumb party. Let's go ahead and 
attack the elites because the elites don't know anything. The foreign policy elites don't know anything. There's so much auto to have a coherent and robust foreign policy to attack Obama and Clinton on, on the whole Middle East, the, the, the failure of total Middle East policy on the part of this administration, whether it be Iraq, whether it be Syria, whether it be Libya, whether it be on, uh, with regard to Israel and just, it's, it's incredible. And, but there's, that's not what he's doing. It's not going to, and, and praising dictators and, and going ahead and establishing a total lack of moral equivalence and saying, well, we can't criticize anybody because we don't have our own house in order. So I'm not going to criticize any, that, that's not the United States. We've never been about that. We've always been going ahead and exerting power and strength for the, for the good of the world, not for the good of just ourselves. The Pax Americana, the, the post-war, post, Cold War order that has emerged, or even the post-World War II order, has been a tremendous benefit economically and strategically for the United States. And to go back on that and to make everything a litmus test of whether whether America directly benefits monetarily is a loser for us and should be a loser for people who care about foreign policy. And if you care about the Middle East and if you care about Israel, you care about foreign policy. You don't want the United States stepping back from global affairs and from global involvement. You don't want, you don't want Syria to fall into the hands of ISIS. You also don't want Syria to be in the hands of Bashar al-Assad. And it's just the lack of a coherent foreign policy on this administration's part is something to attack, but it doesn't say, well, let's leave it in the hands of Vladimir Putin. Because, you know, today with Putin, it today it's Ukraine and Syria. Tomorrow, it's Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And who knows what else goes on. And China goes ahead and grabs territory in the South China Sea. And the United States sits back and says, you know, eh, it's not our interest. We don't have an economic interest. We don't have a, uh, a interest directly to the United States. Well, yes, we do. We do have an interest. We have an interest in global affairs. And if you care about global affairs, you want a president who is willing to be educated and learn and create a coherent policy. And the last thing is to say that Donald Trump says, I will have the best advisors. I will have the best people. Well, guess what? So far that hasn't happened. He doesn't have the best people. He doesn't have the best advisors. He doesn't have people on his team that would be considered to be seasoned people that you would want sitting there and deciding policy for the world. Because foreign policy, all the other, a lot of the policies Congress needs to go through Congress. Foreign policy does not. And you should be very nervous right now. And I am very nervous with the idea of a Trump presidency. But as I said, thankfully on the trajectory right now, from that perspective, Trump could improve. He should improve. There's only one way to go as far as I can see. But if he doesn't improve, I fear for the future right now. And uh, all everybody out there should fear too. Thank you for listening. Another Thursday morning in the in the hopper here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network.